This is episode nine with Paul Hyun. Welcome to Asian Tech Leaders. My name is Justin Peng, and each week we share insights from Asian tech leaders to help inspire and guide you to reach your full potential. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get started. Paul Hyun was a Google executive for 11 years, where he incubated, launched, and led new sales and operations teams for products like YouTube, the Google Display Network, and DoubleClick. Prior to Google, Paul worked in media and communications planning with brands like P&G, Diageo, and H&M. On this episode, I talk with Paul about his upbringing as one of the few Asians in his community in New Orleans, how he ended up at Google, and why he decided to leave after being there for over a decade, and his latest plans to pursue his truth. Had a great time chatting with Paul, and hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, Paul, how you doing? Hey, Justin, how are you? Good, doing thank well. you. Um, thanks for well, joining well. us on the podcast today. My pleasure. No, thanks for having me. Pretty. Where excited in the world is Paul? <laughs> <laughs> so today I am in Hamburg, Germany, uh, heading to Amsterdam, uh, Netherlands tomorrow. And what brings you to um, Germany? Um, so just catching up with friends, right? So uh, this this summer, I kind of committed to hanging out in, in Europe, um, attending some weddings, reunions with classmates, um, reconnecting with a former colleague. So uh, I'm, I'm heading to dinner after this podcast uh, with with a colleague from the marketplace development team. If you ever remember that from Google, yeah, uh, yeah. So he's um, he's still with Google, living and working in Hamburg. So I decided to come and pay a little visit. Cool. Um, and yeah, really excited for our conversation today and kind of unpack and share more about um, your life and career journey. Um, but thought it'd be interesting to start actually with uh, something I came across when doing some research, which is in university, you had a triple major. And one of those majors was in Asian studies. Yeah. Um, so what do you re- what do you remember um, from your time studying uh, Asian studies back in uh, Tulane? Yeah, so um, you know, I guess like growing up in an Asian household, you always want to be that overachiever, type A kind of student, right? And when I had the opportunity to um, to explore college majors, I knew I wanted to study business and something in commerce, marketing. And then the other aspect was my dean um, encouraged me to stay with the liberal arts program. So um, that was a connection to the liberal arts, me being able to stay on like student congress, etc. So it's like a number of variables, right? So it's never just one one thing and like which leads you to a decision. It's like a whole bunch of other things. Um, so Asian studies, I mean, growing up in the South, um, believe it or not, I grew up on the West Bank of New Orleans in grade school and then went straight to the sticks of Mississippi, essentially, um, and was raised there and in a predominantly black and white neighborhood or just a community, whereas like my family was the only Asian uh, family around. Um, so I didn't really have a strong connection to what that mean and what that meant at the time. So Asian studies was a path to exploration around like, where does that heritage and the legacy comes from? I saw some of the practices within my own household with like mom, like religious rituals and, and things of that nature and like, you know, the, the respect and et cetera. Um, but this gave me more of an academic lens to, to things. So I studied a lot of religion, um, which kind of led me to the umbrella uh, kind of philosophy of like, well, these are all philosophies, right? So they're not just one way of life. It's a combination of things that make things great. Um, the other aspect is just like learning languages. So I grew up um, until about kindergarten, 
speaking Vietnamese and understanding Vietnamese. But once I got there um, to kindergarten, I had to learn English. Mm -hmm. um, didn't, didn't know any words of English. And then when I started learning English, um, the Vietnamese kind of took a, 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 um, a backseat to, to my, my development, right, and, and my learning. Um, so while I can understand it, I, I don't think that my spoken Vietnamese was that strong over time. But it was good enough, I suppose, right? Like who who can call me out in Mississippi? Um, so I took Vietnamese for four semesters. I learned how to read and write it. I learned, you know, kind of like the backstory of like you know the invention, quote unquote, of the of the language and how it was Romanized by a Spanish monk, etc. So that was really cool. So it just kind of gave me a little bit more of a foundation to start driving more curiosity around, you know, where where was the um, where where did my mom come from? Where where did you know the her history and her heritage come um, came from? And then how do I kind of take that forward and ensure that that is a part of me. Um, so yeah, so that's that's the the intrigue behind mm -hmm. Asian studies um, and hoping that you know that married in with like a marketing and a management degree from the business school would give me a little bit more of a global spectrum and a global lens uh, in which to operate my career path. Mm, that's great. And in terms of your upbringing, um, was it heavily influenced by kind of uh, Asian culture in terms of the food that you ate and how you spent your free time, whether it's playing piano or doing homework or um, talk a little bit more about your upbringing and, and what your, your childhood yeah. looked like. I'd like to say that it was. Um, you know, growing up in New Orleans, I was, you know, we, we lived close to our, our, our family, so I had cousins around who, um, who were more entrenched in like the Asian culture and the Vietnamese culture, etc. Um, but I think that because my 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 siblings and I were taken out of that that environment, um, we and I'm not sure what it was, but I think that you know we 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 try to kind of um, formulate the identity of just being American, right? Um, and it was rather odd and strange, looking back why we why we would do that, but then living through that moment when you're kind of being judged and like ridiculed and criticized, etc., for not being. And uh, in, in, you know, categorize as, as one color or one race or one ethnic group or one religion. Um, you tried everything to kind of fit in, right? As as kids, that's I think that's just like a natural psychology. Mm -hmm. So um, so growing up, yes, we my mom exposed us to the Vietnamese cooking, but she also helped us find. Uh, a balanced footing to make sure that we are also American. So we add a lot of steaks and burgers and pastas. <laughs> but yeah, no, so that that Asian identity and culture was a little bit of um, a, of a missing element and component uh, in in our in our upbringing compared to like my cousins, for example. But, um, but I think that we had enough to make sure that we had a good foundation and basis of, of which to um, pay respect to our elderly, to continue um, the, the education process and, mm. and, and seeking excellence, so. Yeah. And do you remember facing uh, a lot of racism growing up uh, in terms of like explicit uh, racism or was this more of an undertone that, that you, you felt as a child? No, definitely, it was very explicit, right? I mean, mm -hmm. if you walk into an institution, you walk into a, a shopping center or anything like that, it's just like you would either get dirty glares and you would kind of see the, the 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 tension between, you know, the black side and the white side and like, you know, the Protestant or Baptist and mm -hmm. so forth. So it just wasn't race, but um, 
but but yeah, no, it was it was highly tense in in the mid '90s, like growing up in Mississippi. Um, I remember going on like you know middle school and high school competitions to universities there, and then the um, the Confederate flags were flying, right? So at that point, it's like, whoa, is this part of who I'm supposed to be, mm -hmm. or is this like, am I supposed to stand up and fight for this and fight against it? Um, there are a lot of questions, right? But then I was also a scrawny little kid, so I was like, I probably. Um, didn't have the the physical courage, at least, to kind of do anything about it. Not that like violence is the answer, but <laughs> uh, but it does kind of give you some level of competency and confidence to kind of speak up and speak out for it. Um, which is why education was always reinforced in my in, in our household. Mm -hmm. My mom always you know said that that is going to be your key to everything, right? So keep on learning, keep on understanding what the struggles are, and then hopefully use your words mm -hmm. um, to 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 kind of eradicate and mitigate a lot of the the, the challenges that we as Asians in America would face. Mm. Oh yeah. And so it sounds like the, you know the the guidance that your mom gave you was about just you know focus on your academics. That is your kind of way to gain influence and ultimately um, uh, get through this, as opposed to being extremely vocal or combative during that time. Yeah. So I mean, I think it was yeah. It had to, a lot to do with academics, but I think it was more around just kind of learning. Right. So just being mm -hmm. exposed and like having that um, the access to information and the access to people and so forth. And you always can learn not just through textbooks and and the the, the blackboard, but also through people and conversations yeah. and dialogue. So um, when she when she talks about education, I think that it's it's mostly around that just being open and expressed mm -hmm. uh, and being able to express the your, your your sentiments, but in a very respectful and meaningful way. Um, so but yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we we grew up and in, in very modest and humble means with modest and humble means right so what we did have were just access to public education um yeah. and for some odd reason you know she she was a very supportive mother and um and she worked a lot she was an entrepreneur and that that kind of found her footing in um in, in business so that mm -hmm. was that was a very fortunate thing for us um but she herself was not formally educated right so she is a war refugee and she, um, it was a number of attempts to escape Vietnam before she was successful. So a lot of those stories were at least kind of touched on, but never really dug into it with great depth until after the three of us graduated, three, um, my two siblings and myself graduated from university. But she didn't want that to be an, uh, to play any any major roles. Mm. Um, she wanted us to kind of really dig deep and want to be educated and want to learn for ourselves. So cool. And as a kid, where did your curiosities lie? Or did you have a good sense of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Um, I thought that I was going to be a pediatrician. Uh, no influence from my mom whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I remember uh, sitting in an airport and um, and my mom would just look at the business travelers and she's like, oh, that'd be so great to be able to travel the world. Because again, she never had the chance to do that. Um, so I was like, oh no, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a baby doctor at this point. I was like six or seven years old. And I always strove to, to kind of um, to live that that truth. And same thing with like my sister, she was going to be a lawyer. And But my mom over time is like, she she enabled us to kind of believe and in, 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 in really um, uh, encourage us to kind of like take on our own path um, with a little bit of like, oh, you know, wouldn't it be great if you were like a business, like a global business person, they think <laughs> they have like a good life, like, you know, um, and and there's so, so kind of like subcontext in there, like, I don't want you to have to work a really, really hard life, right? Doctors seem like they work a long mm -hmm. time and etc. So I think she was kind of the opposite of a lot of Asian parents that I've come across, because they've always kind of either encouraged and or 
quote unquote forced their children to become doctors, lawyers, and engineers. Whereas my mom was like the complete opposite. She's like, ah, work smart, don't work hard. <laughs> exactly. You know, like have a good life, see the world, yeah. learn from people, learn from like, you know, yourselves through those experiences. So, yeah. <laughs> Your mom's very wise. <laughs> she's, she's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. <laughs> and um, after Tuing, um, what uh, what what led you to kind of starting your career? I think it was uh, kind of like in in advertising. How did yeah how did you come across that opportunity? Yeah, so I was probably lost and confused. Uh, it, now looking back at it, right? So I thought I had a plan. I thought I was going to work for Procter and Gamble. I thought I was going to do something in, in in marketing. Eventually, be a global brand um, brand uh, manager. That did not come to fruition, but I also contemplated like going to get my master's in education as well, right? So I, I, it was back and forth and, and good thing that neither of those things happened because it helped and forced me to kind of really dig deep to understand where it is that I needed to focus my energies. Um, and and so, yeah, and the job market I, I were, was not that great either, right? So it was just coming out of like the, the, the dot-com um, bust um, that was, early 2000s right and so i ended up with a, a an internship in new orleans at an advertising agency i needed to kind of pad that resume to try to get to new york and, and make something of myself um so i stayed in new orleans that summer um getting paid i think it was a dollar and 27 an hour uh it wasn't <laughs> was even enough minimum wage right it was not even minimum wage <laughs> but it you know it it was meant to pay for parking but parking downtown new orleans cost a little bit more than a dollar 27 an hour <laughs> So I definitely remember um, sitting at the Harris Casino uh, every day after work for at least half an hour because you put in a dollar and then if you play for half an hour, you can get your ticket validated, right? So therefore, um, I, my, pick, my parking ticket was free. <laughs> it only cost me 30 minutes at the slot machine. Um, but yeah, so that that's kind of like you know what what's, what more or less introduced me to formal media planning strategy mm -hmm. and, and and buying. Um, but even at that point, I like I, I stumbled across. Um, I really wanted to get into marketing. I I looked at the L'Oreal uh, marketing management program and applied, um, and and I applied to the one in London. So I got the the interviews, but I needed a visa. So I kind of looked into other programs to find out how I can get a visa to say, look, I'm eligible to work. So I looked into a program called BUNAC, um, which is like a working exchange program that gave you a visa for the UK. I think it was like six months. So that was enough for me to kind of get in and get some sponsorship. So as you can see, there's like all these plans and all these wheels in motion. Um, and so that, that took me to London. And, um, you know, unfortunately, it did not work out that way just because like L'Oreal needed more time and they needed um, a lot more uh time on the on the visa. So um, I did a number of things there, kind of continue working within like the marketing PR arena. Um, and, you know, I guess during that time was probably not the best time for an American to try to find a job in the UK. <laughs> uh, we we're going to war, um, encountered other kind of like criticisms and prejudices um, there as well. Um, had a great kind of uh, role with the london development agency so um it, it created it was to help encourage um, london as a creative hub right so designers mm. and, and musicians and artists etc was also the agency that pitched for the 2012 olympics which um which i was really excited that they won because there was a lot of work and a lot of cool things that london needed in terms of development so that was that was great um yeah so after about a year in london i, I returned to the states and i was like okay new york here i come right 
and I spent the first couple of months just like doing random odd jobs, focus groups. I was like extras on like, you know, TV sets and movie <laughs> sets, et cetera. So random little uh, made for TV movies. You, you might be able to see me in the way background, uh, but it was cool. Um, but I also did not pay the rent, right? So, but I, I was looking for jobs within um, advertising and I, um, I liked kind of the communication strategy component of it. So, and I knew that I wanted to work for top brands. Um, and at the same time, coincidentally, this agency called Kara had won the Procter & Gamble business. Mm. Um, and they won the Pampers business. So I was like, that is the number one brand in the world. I want to be associated with that. Let me get in. So I applied, um, got the position, was pretty ecstatic. Um, and you know, for, for very little pay, if you, <laughs> you, you lived in New York, I'm not sure if you worked in like, you know, the, the agency side, but yeah, they, they, they pay quite well, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's, yeah, I stayed there for, for a few years. Um, and then that led me over to the big G. Yeah. So Google, you started in 2007 in New York. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And talk about the process and even how the opportunity of Google came along. Was that something you proactively sought out? Was Did you have a contact there that reached out? Um, so I, I'm, I'm going to sound really dumb, but I mean, this is part of my story, right? So um, I had kind of outgrown my role at Kara and my boss at the time, um, and still a great friend to this day, great mentor. She, um, she was like, look, I want, I want to keep you forever. You know that, but I feel that you're going to you're not learning and growing as much as you can, right? So let's let's think about your career um, path and plan now. Um, so she was the one who kind of introduced me to Google. I did not want to go to Google. I didn't know anything about Google, to be honest with you. Mm. I was like, look, I want to go into brand management. I want to work in like communication strategy, etc. So I interviewed at you know um, a, a very famous vacuum cleaner brand i'll just kind of leave it nameless right now um another agency and and google and um so of the three google was my last uh kind of like priority and my boss at the time was like dude you're so stupid come on just <laughs> just go there I'm like wait what am i going to do there you know like sell something like that's yeah. not that's not the path that i'm looking for um but yeah so she was the one who submitted my cv to um uh, to Google through a, a friend of hers, and they reached out. The process at the time, compared to interviewing for agencies, was forever, right? Mm. An agency, I would go in at eight in the morning, and then by noon, they would probably have an offer. Um, with Google, it was literally from beginning to end, is that four and a half, five weeks, which at the time for me was super duper long. Um, little context, but um, when I joined the organization and we had the sales conference, um, it was in San Francisco, my first roommate, we talked about the process and he's like, I've been interviewing for 17 months. I was like, hmm. 17, wow. what? Yeah, he's like, yeah. I mean, I was in and you know, he had his eyes set on the prize and he eventually got in for the right role, et cetera, and the right team. So I was like, oh, so maybe I should keep my mouth shut about uh, you know, my process one. And then secondly, not even wanting to join the organization. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, I mean, like I've, I've told this story ever since I, I joined and everyone's like, you can't be that dumb. I'm like, yeah, well, you know what? Sometimes, um, you are, and uh, as long as you're open to it and, and you're able to learn from it, then cool. Why not? Right. So, uh, so yeah, so I joined in, in June of 2007, met some of my best friends to date, um, you know, during my orientation class and, and had the time of my life there. Like I learned so much about not just the business world, but then myself and then me in context of, um, of just life. So 
fantastic. And you've had a variety of, of roles and in increasing uh, responsibility and leadership roles, moving from New York to Australia and New Zealand and um, heading over some of the um, teams over in APAC, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, and in, in total spent 11 years here, which is insane relative right. to how long Google has existed. That's right. Um, what are like two or three of the, the key lessons or takeaways when you reflect back on that experience? Um, the, the, I, I, I think back to like maybe three memories. I don't know if these memories have a lesson in them, but mm. when I think back to it, um, you know, firstly, being able to go to Ghana, right? Um, and even Australia. And it's, I think that if you don't ask, you'll never know. Right. So it's a big lesson. It's just like, well, I remember during orientation, um, one of the things that the leader taught us, or at least like, you know, conveyed to us is like ask for forgiveness, not permission. Right. So we just kind of got to do whatever we needed to do in order to um, to make sure that uh, we are delivering great quality, quality innovation service, et cetera, to our partners and to, to our team. So that was really cool. Um, but yeah, so the Ghana opportunity was just it was there. It was like it was kind of like buried in the many things that Google is developing for us um, to take advantage of. So there are a lot of things kind of around you. You just kind of have to look for it. But what's going to help you look for it is like really identifying what it is that you need and want to do. So I was able to spend five or six weeks in Ghana working with the local startup scene there, as well as like the um, an organization called Mobile Midwives with um, in partnership with Grameen Foundation. So that was really great and, and memorable. Um, you know, so in addition to kind of digging through and figuring out like you know that this these programs exist. Um, saying yes to it as well um, is, is important. The Australia opportunity was more or less, I took advantage of our, our network, right? So before going down there, I was going down there for a holiday. And I was like, oh, well, Google provides flexibility. Wouldn't it be great if I can work from the office for like a week? Before doing that, I did my homework. I, um, I looked up you know, the senior leaders and I kind of reached out said, hey, my name is Paul Huynh, I'm from New York, I work on this team. It'd be great to kind of just, you know, take 10 or 15 minutes of your time to understand what the business landscape looks like, et cetera. So thank goodness I did that because I stumbled upon one amazing lady, Kate Vale, who started the Australia office. Hmm. And uh, so, you know, um, we got along well, but I didn't think anything of it. Two days later, she sees me in the hallway as I was like packing up and like heading out back to New York. She's like, hey, um, you're still here. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm leaving soon, but you know, thank you so much again for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, she she essentially was like, how would you feel how, um, if I said that, uh, if I asked you to come back down here and help me launch YouTube? I'm like, wait, what? What are you saying? <laughs> right, so so these things like, it seems like you it's it's like well architected and like you know well planned and so mm. forth but like you just never know right so you kind of continue being a person and just like reach out and like uh, meet people and talk to people and express your interests and express like your passions and and over time they were just like you know you might be a memory for them you might be a distant memory for them who knows but um but i think that you know google's really taught me that because like it's such an expansive network the opportunities are boundless um and it gave me kind of the um, the reinforcement that things and magical things can actually happen um, if you are a human and and just you know and want to get to know people because you you're interested 
um, which is why I really love the fact that you're doing this podcast because it's it's, it's built out of a, a foundation of interest and intrigue, right? Curiosity, and I think that that always connects people, and that's important. Mm. And then making the decision last year to leave Google, yeah. How talk us through the process of that and and how easy or difficult that was for you? Yeah, um, it's 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 a big question um, because I, I I get it all the time, and I'm not sure if there's one answer that that's kind of like a one size fits all. Um, when people hear that I've left Google after so long, they're just like, "Oh wow, you must be really rich." I'm like, absolutely not, right? It's like, well, if you're not rich, then why did you leave? It's such a fantastic company and everyone wants to get in, right? Um, but I think it goes back to like what it is that you want to do, right? Um, and I had the, the the great luxury of just like progressing in my career and being supported by the best people and and working with some of the, 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 the brightest minds um, in, in my entire career, right? I spent the majority of my career there. Um, but it gets to a point where, okay, well, what more can I actually bring to the table and what more can I learn from the people around me or the things around me? And then what is it that um, that's gonna really give me that jolt um, and that smile and that laughter every day that Google did for the first, like, you know, however, you know, 10 years of my life there. Um, and, and then he also looks back in terms of like, okay, well, the progression in my, of my career here was fantastic, but then what else am I doing? Um, helping a billion plus dollar company make more billions for other billion dollar companies. Okay, cool. That sounds, yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. It gives me some credibility in the world. I'm like, oh, well, the big G's on your CV. Um, but then just kind of seeing what the world is kind of encountering, right? I, I don't mean to be all like preachy about this at all, um, but I, you know, the plight of refugees, um, the the divisiveness that I saw in the U.S. Um, as as an expat living abroad, um, the opportunities and the, the income disparities, the inequalities, like the marginalized people. It's like, okay, so there's got to be something. Right. I've always grown up in a household that gave back to the community. We always did community service. We 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 you know did fundraisers, etc. Because um, you should never forget where you came from, right? You should never forget those people who helped to prop you up and to build the path and the bridges um, that that enabled you to cross them um, to greater opportunities. So that's something that was um, that always stuck with me. Um, so I had you know um, so it's like look. I've been abroad now for eight, seven, eight years. I am looking to go back to the US. I want to be closer to my family and my friends. I want to reconnect with that, um, so, which is really important. Um, you know, All of my family and friends were like having babies and so forth, and I'm here, single guy, like still gallivanting around, like Asia, <laughs> trying to like build you know, a, a publisher business, right? So, um, so yeah, so it's a number of, of, of variables that kind of like really pushed for that. And then, so the other aspect is like, okay, well, now that I go back, I could stay at Google, um, quite easily, I think. Um, and, and, but then what's going to keep me to the lessons that I learned over the eight years that I was working abroad in Asia Pacific? I, I want to still stay tied to the global economy, the global ecosystem to some degree, right? Um, despite working at Google, which is a global company, a lot of times um, I felt, right, like we had to fight a lot. Uh, with our product managers and with our strategy leads and so forth to like consider Asia Pacific as a leading force um, around these developments, right? So, um, yeah, so knowing that like for a company like Google to be so global, but sometimes can fall into the, the trap of being US centric, imagine what other companies um, 
uh, are, are kind of what I would have to contend with, right? So that's when I, I, I explored um, MBA programs and, and decided that I wanted to pursue an executive MBA and fell upon INSEAD. Um, and, and that was a really fantastic decision. I can talk for, for, for days and days and days about that experience for sure. But, um, um, but yeah, so that, that helped to kind of propel the, the, some of the decisions mm -hmm. as well. And then, but when I look back, I needed to make an investment in myself, mm -hmm. right? I, I dedicated so much of my time and energy into the corporate life, into climbing that corporate ladder, into you know helping others and so forth. Like, where was I? Where was I neglecting myself to any degree? And then I had to kind of really be honest with myself in that question, uh, and say, you know what, I'm going to do this MBA for me, um, and I'm going to go there for lessons about me, for me, and um, and hopefully will open up more doors and and give me better lens to to view life. Um, so that was part of it. So that foundation built a lot more courage and competency and confidence to say, you know what, what is it that I'm doing? Uh, and as we were approaching the elections in 2016 and seeing the state of America, I was like, okay. And like reflecting upon like my past and my history in terms of what opportunities were either deprived um, or provided for to my mom, therefore transferred to me. It's like, okay, well, I want to drive more social change and impact. Um, so yeah. So it's all of those things. Like I'm not sure that's like you know a very articulate and or like very succinct answer for you, but uh, but yeah, it's a number of things. I was like, okay, well, I have this. This is this is my truth. How do I go and pursue that? I can go back to the U.S., work with Google, and do this as a side project. But would that be fair to myself and my team and the business, right? If I'm not wholeheartedly invested in it, um, or I can go back and just kind of clip my wings and or maybe like release my wings, not clip them, right? Um, and just explore this, right? Um, I, I know that I can excel in an organization like Google. So if I ever fell, maybe I can pick myself back up uh, and, and walk back through the doors of something like a Google, right? Um, but this is a time for me to experiment and continue to explore what my energies can um, can help to, to, to increase and maximize and accelerate. Um, so yeah. Um, it, it 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 was kind of easy going through the MBA process with with decision like I was so burnt out because I was like working around the, the clock, traveling all over the place, and then also on top of that school right. So balancing all of that, I was like, oh man, I just want to leave right now. I'm tired. Um, but then it took about a year um, from uh, from that moment of just like I just want to quit. Um, and then when I actually did leave Google for good, right? Um, it's ironic because like when I was my last like week or two, I was like, wait, am I making the right decision? This is so crazy. Like Google is so amazing, right? Like there's still growth opportunities there, but is it um, is it in line with like what my ambitions are and my passions are and like what my, um, or what my, my the truth that I wanted to kind of at least explore. And, um, but then when I, when I left the first um, 24 hours, um, yeah, no, the first 24 hours were pretty daunting just because, you know, like, for 11 years, I can just Google anything into, you know, um, my computer and I would have my life there, right? Um, mm. And so I didn't have access to the Google stratosphere anymore. Like the, um, I had to buy my own mobile phone. I had to <laughs> um, sign up for my own health insurance, right? And and 
coming back from Australia, like I didn't qualify for a Cobra or anything like that. So I was like, wow, I'm very out of touch. I had to learn how to be an adult really, really quick um, <laughs> because Google kind of coddles you. Um, yeah. as, as, as much as they work you, they do. Decision. Um, just kind of talking through my challenges and, and just kind of talking through what it is that I wanted to at least pursue. It felt right and it felt good. Um, and yeah, I haven't really looked back since. Uh, I love I love what Google continues to do, right? Um, but I also really love what I've been able to do in the past mm. year as well. So, so what's ahead of, ahead for you? What's kind of um, you know you kind of spoke about you know living your truth. Um, yeah. What does the future look like in terms of what you want to do with your your career and work to have a bigger impact? Yeah, so I, uh, I've been very lucky, right? So when I left Google, I thought that I was going to take a three-month like travel sabbatical, just like, oh, I'm going to go and explore the world a little bit more and then move back to the US. Because um, I, I terminated my lease in Australia. I donated everything. I basically packed up four suitcases to return to the US. So my goal was to like, yep, I would take a, a suitcase around the world and then come back to the US, move to Los Angeles, very similar climate to Sydney, good lifestyle, et cetera. And some, some, uh, a place that I've never lived in and worked before. So thought that I can give that a, a go. Um, but you know, as, as I was kind of going through the summer um, opportunities through past networks and, and, and current networks, I kept on coming up. And uh, at first I was like, oh, I'm burnt out. I don't want to talk about work right now. But then you kind of just take it on, right? Um, so I said yes to a couple of things. Um, one got me involved in the political spectrum. So I was campaigning for a senatorial can uh, candidate in Texas, which was pretty amazing. Uh, it, it helped me learn that you know hope is still alive and that you know we have so much more in common than we have differences. So that was really nice to speak to both sides of the political spectrum in the US. Um, which has also kind of guided the way that I continue to try to be open and um, as best as I can to, to understand the life through different lenses. Um, also said yes to an opportunity to live in Egypt. So I, I worked down there with an accelerator and somehow opened the doors to this thing we call quote unquote executive coaching, right? Um, so working with senior leaders and startups and or just like accelerators um, as a whole to, to help devise leadership um, development paths. And um, yeah, so that Egypt led me to Colombia. So that's where more recently I was able to spend with an amazing team um, at Movi. It's a FinTech startup focused on financial inclusion. And then also working with a disabilities inclusion um, organization called CDEC. So, um, to, you know, helping to, uh, to create jobs for those affected by physical and or um, intellectual disabilities and their caretakers. So those are the things that, you know, when I think about all that is like the theme of just being close to people again, right? So um, as someone who works at Google, you would understand that we kind of push technology and like technology enables and drives efficiencies and so forth that I think that I've realized I've missed a lot of just like the human interaction. So the, the three things that I've been able to do over the past year um, help to kind of spark that, that, um, that, um, that passion and, and, and desire again to work closely with people and to handhold them through the challenges. Mm -hmm. Um, what this translates to in like real tangible, um, you know, like future plans for Paul, I'm not quite sure, just to be completely honest with you. Um, but that that usually should be 
it's scary, but it's not. I'm, I'm pretty excited to kind of continue to build upon like what I've done so far. Um, I, I recently um, finished a, a course at NCAD this past summer called um, Realizing Entrepreneurial Potential. And it's essentially entrepreneurship through acquisition. So I have a new idea um, in terms of, you know, um, maybe creating a search fund accelerator. So helping mm -hmm. refugee and immigrant entrepreneurs through the process of acquiring a business so that they can, they can um, create, a, um, create a living um, and, and, and building for their families and their communities, right? Um, so that's something that that's kind of on the agenda right now. I hope that I get to dig deeper and further into that. So if anyone out there is interested in that or have experience, it's pretty new-ish. Um, I'd love to talk to you. But yeah, so that's kind of like where I'm, where my head is right now. Um, and and LA being a very cosmopolitan, like you know, comprised of many diasporas, and the, the with the 2028 Olympics upcoming. Um, there's a lot of infrastructure investments and economic plan development through the the local and state and um, government. So, um, so I think there's a huge opportunity there to to, to tap into that and to give back um, in a way that is only going to accelerate the, the the future of not only the U.S. but hopefully the world. Right. Um, so yeah. Oh, you're you're muted. Uh, last question is. Um... If you could put anything on a billboard for the whole world to see and not to sell something, but some words of wisdom or philosophy, what would you put on that billboard? Ooh, big question. Take a moment to think. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think something that really resonates with me and, um, and I guess I never I never really saw it as something that I needed to do. I just naturally did it. Um, was just to to always um, ask questions, right? Mm -hmm. um, and if I think back to, yeah, you know, I, I I always write my nephews and nieces like postcards anywhere I go, and I and I generally end it with like you know, um, stay hungry, uh, be curious. Yeah. Curious is always going back to asking the questions, right? So never settle, right? So you, people will always try to tell you something, but ask. Like, don't don't be a chump, right? Like, mm. um, it's it's not it's not um, wrong to ask questions to kind of get a deeper meaning and understanding because we all have different perspectives. So, uh, but you know, upon asking questions, like, be open as well. So, yeah, yeah I, that's that. I don't know if that can all fit into a billboard, but there's something in there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, Paul. Um, for people who want to get in touch or even if they have ideas for your upcoming venture, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, like I, I'm not I'm not the person who like posts and like writes all the time, but I'm 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 constantly checking. Um, yeah, so I think that that's probably a good starting point. And until I incorporate some name or another, <laughs> um, that's the best way. Great. Okay. And I'll, I'll add your uh, LinkedIn link at the show notes so people who are listening can find you easily. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to thank yeah, you again, sure. Paul. Like, this, this has been great to just hear your story. And I want to kind of acknowledge you on behalf of the, the Asian American, Asian Canadian community for, you know, having courage, um, always being curious, following your intuition, and um, not being afraid. 
because I think we need more Asian leaders like you to to help um, forge for progress in, in the future. So thank you. Thank you for joining us. And thanks for uh, sharing your story today. No, thank you for having me. And I can continue doing this. I love it. So um, and we'll have you back next time. When, we'll have you back next time once your idea gets a bit more crystallized. For sure. For sure. Thanks, Paul. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Asian Tech Leaders. Please share this with your friends and follow us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform. Looking forward to our next conversation. And until then, take care.